The word of the Lord is good. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to summarise a little bit of it. Um, Chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Someone say jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Oh, it's good. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, last week as I was preaching out of Lamentations 3 on remembering hope, I was talking in the second point about Rakum about God's uh, compassions, about God's enwombing of His people. And mid-preach, I, I sensed just that gentle whisper of the Lord saying to me, I'm not done with this message. And sometimes that can be a little disconcerting when you're trying to preach something and you feel like God's saying something for next week. Uh, it's, it's an interesting space to be in, but I just felt like Him saying, Dave, I'm not done with this message. There's more to this message. There's more that I have to say to my people about this. And you've got to come back to this. You've got to revisit this next week. You've got to revisit this idea that actually I am struck down, but not destroyed. I am pressed, but I am not broken. I am pressed, but not crushed. Like, God has a word for this for us in this season, this idea that He would womb us, this idea that, that difficulties will happen, hardships are going to happen in life, but we need to understand the parental heart of God. And I love that passage which actually says, endure hardship as discipline. It's not saying that hardship necessarily is discipline, but it says endure it as if it was. Why? Because discipline is actually the means by which a parent uh, works to achieve the purpose of their child. That the purpose of their child is achieved through that sense of discipline. It's a guiding, it's a leading. And when we understand that the situations that we face in life, though sometimes difficult, that God is not absent from that, that is not God's rejection of His people, that is not God's abandonment of His people. No, no, God is right there in the midst of it, leading us, guiding us, directing us, shaping us, knocking off the edges and guiding, drawing us towards Himself and refining us for the purpose for which we have been created because we're created in Christ Jesus to do the good work works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 12 and 11 tells us that discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Romans 5, 3 to 5 urges us to glory in our sufferings. Wow. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. 
because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Friends, this morning I wanna preach on the topic pressed for a purpose. Pressed for a purpose. Why don't you put that in the comments section right now? Pressed for a purpose. We wanna see the comments lighting up wherever you're at, whether you're in the Adelaide Hills, whether you're in South Australia, if you're in another state, Victoria, whether you're in international, wherever you are, pressed for a purpose, pressed for a purpose. If you're in this room, stand to your feet. If you're at home, stand to your feet. We're gonna pray believing that God is going to speak powerfully to His church this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are good and You are merciful and we thank You that You are a glorious God. We thank You that You have given us this treasure, this mighty treasure, the glory of knowing You in Christ. Wow, You have given us this incredible treasure, this new covenant, this covenant of mercy and grace, this covenant of being adopted into sonship, daughtership, into the inheritance that we would be seated with Christ on high. Wow, what a glorious treasure. But we thank You that You have given us this treasure in jars of clay, in jars of clay, that this all-surpassing power, that we would know that it is from God and not from us. Father, I pray this morning that someone who is listening to this going through a difficult time would gain a fresh perspective. Father, I pray that someone who's going through something today would understand that you are not absent from them. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that you would spur us on and most importantly, Lord, that you would draw us to yourself and you'd bring glory to your Son. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So um, I don't know about your house, but in, in our house, and I'm sure this goes on in many, many houses around the place, there is an unspoken war which has continued for many, many years. And the, the war has everything to do with this. I don't know if you can see that, if you can zoom in on that, guys. Um, anybody else? Is anyone else battling the, the same war? That revolves around this. If you, if you can zoom in on that, you'll see this. This is hilarious because I actually bought these two things just the other day, these two things of toothpaste just the other day. And uh, I bought them for this message and I woke up on Saturday morning and one had been opened and this had already happened. Now, I don't know if you can see that because this is what I like my toothpaste to look like. I like my toothpaste to be very gently squeezed from the bottom so as not to mess up the top. You see, you see what I'm saying? Right, there's no dents, it's beautiful, it's glossy, it looks the part, right? And then I woke up in the morning and something had happened to this guy. Someone had uh, just brashly and brazenly grabbed from the top and just squeezed. And I don't like that because it messes up my container. It makes my container look, it's dented, it's busted. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want someone to push from the bottom, right? And so we have this, anyone else, is anyone with me here? Does anyone else have this battle in their home? where there's, there's some people who just happily just squeeze from the top. Others of us just like a nice clean container. We don't like things to look bad or go wrong. We just want it to look like that. And the, the interesting thing is, is uh, while I like it to look like this, while I wish that this would actually never get pressed and just sit by the sink and just sit there beautiful and clean, the reality is in order for that which is in it to get out of it, it has to be squeezed. In order for that which is in it to get out of it, 
it has to be squeezed. And the same is true for us with faith. The same is true for us, that God has put something in each and every one of us. God has gifted us. He has given you a measure of faith. He has given you of His Spirit. But in order for that which He has put in us to get out of us, we got to be squeezed. And while we wish we could look like this, just sitting there, I promise you I'm not advertising Colgate here today. I'm not a sponsored Colgate person. While we wish that our lives would look like this, the reality is is God is more than content and more than happy with our lives looking like this. That as we are squeezed, the good stuff comes out. As we're squeezed, the good stuff comes out. And so as we come to this word this morning, I want you to understand that what has been put in will only come out when we're pressed. That there is purpose in the pressing that you are pressed for a purpose or I am keen to preach. You are pressed for a purpose. And as we come to 2 Corinthians 4 this morning, before we can eat, I need to quickly set the table. Is that all right? Friends, are we in the room? You've got to give me something. I need to set the table. Again, in the comments, comments, set it up, right? Set it up, set it up, set the table. You see, 2 Corinthians is... Not the second letter to the Corinthians, it's actually the fourth. This book that we're about to this look at, this chapter that we're about to look at, interestingly, is actually a part of a much greater conversation which Paul is engaging with the Corinthian church and it spans about three to five years. It's a, it's a conversation around a specific conflict which has taken a long time. You see, what happened with the Corinthian church is Paul came along, he planted this church. The church was full of faith, full of fire. They caught wind of the glorious gospel, this idea that I'm saved by grace through faith, that the Spirit of God has come to initiate this new covenant, this beautiful thing. The Corinthian church took hold of it. Paul leaves and then he gets wind, he hears that something's gone wrong with their theology. He hears that some behaviours are off, he hears that some teaching is off. And so he is concerned. So he, uh, he actually writes them a letter, which is the first letter, which we don't have to try and bring a bit of correction. And then the reply comes back and it, it's not something that he's overly impressed with. So he responds again with a second letter, which is what we call 1 Corinthians. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, it's, it's strong. So he writes to the Corinthian church. He sends them this rebuke saying, hey, hey, you've got to straighten some stuff out. And then what he does is he then sends Timothy to the church in Corinth to just suss out how things are going. And Timothy comes back to Paul and is like, bro, it's not good. You need to pay a visit. Like you've got to come along and you've got to sort this out. So Paul actually visits Corinth, which he calls in his letter a painful visit. And when he comes to that place, it does not go as planned. First and foremost, he sees stuff that he wished he'd never seen. And secondly, he is not received with the respect, with the grace that he expects to be received. In fact, he is actually disregarded. He is dishonoured. And he is deeply hurt. And so in leaving Corinth, he then writes a third letter 
to that church, which we don't have, which he calls a severe letter. So man, I would love to read that letter. I don't know about you. I don't know what was in there, but I'd be really fascinated. He says it was a severe letter. And if this is not a severe letter, I don't know what a severe letter is, but he cuts to the core of the problem. Uh, And then it clearly does its work because he he informs us in 2 Corinthians that actually this letter does something, that there is a repentance which comes to the Corinthian church and he gets word about their turning, which brings him joy. And as a result of that, he writes the fourth letter, which we call 2 Corinthians. Is this all right? We're setting the table. And so as he brings the fourth letter, 2 Corinthians, over a three to five year conflict, we need to understand something because they've been They've been bickering, they've been fighting, they've been going back and forth, they've had this conflict, but he hasn't yet had a chance to go back in sort of the makeup session and give them a hug. They haven't been able to sit around a table and have a chat. They haven't been able to laugh together. They haven't been able to do any of that. It's all been via text message, right? And so there's been like this kind of makeup, but there's still some tension there. So when Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he's a bit like a boxer who's just unleashed on his opponent. And now he's kind of backing off, but he's still just swinging a little bit as he's backing off just to make sure that the punches have landed. And so as you read through 2 Corinthians, there's still some strong stuff in this that Paul is bringing to continue to press in the correction he wants them to receive. And the thing, the issue, the primary issue that he is dealing with is the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. The theology of glory and the theology of the cross. You see, the Corinthian church has what we would call a high theology of glory. Meaning, when they hear about the good news of the gospel coming out of Jerusalem, coming out of uh, this, this Old Testament Jewish faith of legalism where I have to abide by the law, where I have to do the animal sacrifices in order to be made righteous, all of these things. And they hear that God has done the work in Christ, that in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen, that they are free and they are free indeed by the work of the Saviour. And He's given the Spirit that they might walk in that freedom, that the glory of the Kingdom of God has come to humanity. No longer do they encounter the glory of God in a temple, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God indwells the people of God. We become the temple and therefore we carry the treasure of God and it's glorious. And it's beautiful and it's a right theology. But what happens sometimes is we forget that that theology, all theology, in fact, finds its foundation in the theology of the cross. And so they have this theology of glory, but they've forsaken the theology of the cross. And so what they do is they look at Paul and they look at this man who is beaten and weak uh, and a bit insipid and he's not overly engaging and he's definitely not appealing or pleasing to the eye and he's, he's not someone who walks into a room and commands people's attention. And they look at these other people who are preaching to them, the people who Paul mockingly calls super apostles. They look at them in all their glory. They're, they're wearing the right stuff. They look the part. They're extremely eloquent in the words that they speak. And they're like, these guys must have the glory of God because look at them. 
If the temple was such a magnificent structure and that same glory now indwells the people of God, how could we possibly, how could the glory of God possibly indwell such a weak being as Paul? And so there's this disconnect. They look at these people and they look at Paul and they're like, we're going to follow these guys because you don't match our theology. The weakness that we see in you doesn't compute. Should you not be strong? Should you not be engaging? Should you not be glorious, Paul? And so Paul for three and a half years has been fighting this battle. And I love one theologian put it this way. He says, the question the Corinthians were asking was, how does the unsurpassed glory of the ministry of the Spirit harmonise with the unrelenting weakness and ever-present suffering so evident in Paul's life? How can such a wonderful, glorious treasure, such as God's Spirit, be exhibited in such a lowly pot of clay? And what Paul wants them to understand is, yes, we should have a high theology of glory. We should believe in the resurrection power of Jesus. We should believe in the gifts of the Spirit for the edification of the saints. We should absolutely remember that. We should absolutely walk in that and desire that. However, we must remember that all theology, even the theology of glory, is founded on a theology of the cross. God's glory will forever be enmeshed with the suffering Saviour. Glory is not immune to grief, friends. You can't have a resurrection without a tomb. And when we understand the tomb, then the resurrection is all the more glorious. When we understand the grief, then the glory is all the more magnificent. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make for three and a half years over and over and over again. He's saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't you remember that when Jesus went to achieve what He achieved on the cross, it began in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you know what Gethsemane means, church? It means oil press. Gethsemane means oil press. It means the place of pressing that the salvific work of Christ, the glorious new covenant, was be- it began through a pressing. Oh, God was pressed. God was stretched. God was struck down. God encountered all of these things so that the oil of the new covenant might flow. That that which was in Him would come out of Him for all of eternity, for all of creation, that all of us might walk in the true glory of the Kingdom. His blood flows and there is no greater treasure. And so Paul wants them to catch it. And do you know what? I believe he wants us to catch it. When God whispered to me last week, I felt like he was saying the same thing. Because so often, you know, we, we, we love to quote that passage which says um, God, will not allow, God will not test us beyond what we can bear. But do you know the actual word is tempt. God will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. And so, so often we, by, by saying that, because theology shapes practice, what we believe will impact the way that we act. And if we truly believe that God's not going to test us beyond our own strength to bear, then as soon as a testing comes, we think God's forsaken us. But when we understand that, actually, do you know how Paul begins this letter? 
He begins in, in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Someone say pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure. God tested him beyond what he could bear. Far beyond our ability endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But watch this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. So that God actually will test us beyond what we can bear. He won't tempt us beyond what we can bear. He won't tempt us. Well, He doesn't tempt us. He won't allow temptation to come upon us beyond what we can bear, but He will allow a testing to come upon the people of God so that we would stop relying upon ourselves and we would start relying upon Him. That if His Spirit is in us, if the treasure is in us, then rather than us constantly relying on our flesh, the flesh would fall away and the Spirit would rise up. That the pressing would actually create what is in us to come out of us and therefore bring transformation to the world. That actually the the true evidence of God's glory is so much more uh, revealed in Paul's life than the super apostle's life because he is an example of when I'm weak, I am strong. He has been tested on every level and yet he's still standing. And there's such power in what Paul wants to reveal right here, right now. And I just believe there's a word for us in this season. There's a word for our church. There's a word for you as you're watching this in your life, that as we come to this beautiful passage of 2 Corinthians 4, uh, this theology of glory, this theology of the cross intertwined together, that God would have us realise that, yes, you might be feeling pressed, You might be feeling stretched. You might be feeling challenged. You might be feeling struck down, but you are not crushed. You are not in despair. You are not abandoned and you are not destroyed because God is about His glory. And this is what Paul does so well. He takes this theology of glory that the Corinthian church is is wrestling with, that this Corinthian church is believing in. And he goes, yes, it's so good. And if you start in chapter three from verse seven, it's the greater glory of the new covenant. And he preaches to them about the glory. And he talks about how much greater the glory of the new covenant is. How much greater is what we have in Christ. And he's like, guys, yes, this glory is incredible. This glory is amazing. He's like, we're not like the Israelites. We're not like Moses who have to cover it. No, 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 we have the glory of Christ shining through us. And you can just imagine the Corinthian church being like, yes, amen. Like as he's writing this, I preach it, brother. This is what we've been saying, Paul, all along. Why have we conflicted over this? This is what we've been talking about. You're with us now, Paul, finally. And it's this beautiful proclamation of the glory of God. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Amen, Paul. And then he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Glory, glory, glory in fragility. The glory of God manifested in a weak vessel. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. And in so doing, it further illuminates God's glory. Do you understand? It further illuminates God's glory. And I wanna pick up just a couple of things that Paul will land on here as to the why. Why? Why would, he, why would He put His glory in a jar of clay? Why does He allow us to be pressed? Why does He allow us to be tested? Why does, he, why does He sometimes bring us to what we feel like is the very end of ourselves? Why would He do this? Why would He do this? And how does it possibly reveal His power? Well, here's, here's what I want us to see. First and foremost, the reason that He would put it in a jar of clay, the reason He would allow us to be pressed, the reason He would allow us to be tested from verse seven, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing powers from God and not from us. It reveals His power. It reveals His power. Why? Because we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Friends, when a jar, when a, when a jar of clay is pressed, what happens to it? It shatters. When a jar of clay is struck, what happens to it? It's destroyed. When you drop a jar of clay, it breaks. But what Paul wants you to understand is he's still standing. What he wants us to understand is he's still here. These super apostles haven't been through anything. He's been abandoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been through all sorts of hell and he's still standing and he's still preaching. And it is not to his glory. It is to the glory of God. It is his very weakness that glorifies God because he's able to say, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He's able to say that it is uh, His strength is made perfect in my weakness. His very being, the fact that He is standing, the fact that He is ministering to this church, the fact that He's writing a letter that 2,000 years later we're now hearing about is to the glory of God. It reveals His power at work in His life. No one can possibly look at Paul and say, wow, look what you have done. And that's the point that God will put His treasure in us so that when we're squeezed, what's in us comes out. The treasure transcends the trial. Paul is a witness to the fact that the treasure that is in him is greater than his weakness. The treasure that is in him is greater than his trial and it will transcend that and it will sustain him and it will enable him to run the race with perseverance. It will enable him to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I came to encourage someone today to look at the treasure that is in you. Stop looking at your weakness and start looking at your Saviour. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of everything. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. We prayed before this service began. Oh, Everything you need for life and godliness. Just let that sink in for a second. Everything you need for life and godliness, not because you're fabulous, not because you're muscular or beautiful or eloquent or intelligent. No, because the Spirit of God is in you. If you are in Him. He wants to put His treasure in you to reveal to the world His power that this all-surpassing power is from Him and not from us. Pressure reveals the source of power. Pressure reveals the source of strength. Pressure reveals the sufficiency of our Saviour. 
Don't forsake the season of testing. Lean into it. Lean into the Saviour and allow His glory to shine through you. Number two. So number one, He's going to reveal His power. Number two, the reason to allow us you to be tested, allow us to be tested, is that He's going to reap His reward. Oh, this is good. Verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit. Watch this. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. May cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Friends, when the saints of God are tested and the treasure flows out, it, gives, it brings forth a testimony. It brings forth the testimony of God's faithfulness. It brings forth the testimony of God's sovereignty. It brings forth the testimony of God's strength. As we collectively stand together and say, look what the Lord has done. You know, there's some saints in the place who have a shout, who can stand here and say, if it had not been for the Lord by my side, I would not have made it. I wonder if that's you. If that's you, put an amen in the comments right now. You know, there's something about when we're young and we're innocent and we look around and mum and dad take care of everything, we don't realise. But when you've walked a little while, when you've been through some stuff, when you've gone through some storms and you've realised that it's had not been for the Lord by my side, you got a testimony. you got a testimony worth sharing. And what happens when you have a testimony, you can't help but testify. We believed and therefore we spoke. And here's what happens when the saints testify about what God has done. When the treasure is oozing out both in their life and in our mouth, something happens. The gospel goes out uh, and for our benefit so that grace reaches more and more people and it causes something. It causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. God uses our testimony to bring Himself glory. It's a glorious covenant. It's a glory. The glory of God is manifest through the people of God being tested. As we are pressed and God is faithful, it brings forth a testimony. And that testimony brings forth thanksgiving. And thanksgiving and praise. This is why you've got to constantly be thanking God for your daily bread. This is why we thank Him for our daily bread because it reminds us that I'm not the one who put food on my table. Everything I have is a gift from God. Everything I have. When we praise God, when we thank God for the little things, we learn to thank Him for the big things. And as we thank Him for all of these things, we're constantly reminded that all of this is by Him, through Him and for Him. The surpassing power is from God and not from us. My very breath, your very breath, right now, that breath you just breathed, which you didn't even think about, now you're thinking about it, is a gift from God. Thank Him for it right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for my life. Look around the room that you're in. Look around this room that you're in. Thank God for the people sitting right next to you. Thank God for the little blessings in your life. We have a testimony. And some of you know it more than others. Some of you have been right on the edge. And you can sit here and you can testify. Amen. Someone in this room, you can testify. You can testify. There's people in this room. Oh, I wish I could share all of their stories. There's a testimony and that testimony is to the glory of God. And here's what I want you to see. Christ gets his glory. Christ gets his glory. That's what he's on about. That's the kingdom. That's the glory Paul's talking about. Christ gets his glory. Christ gets his reward. Do you know, we're all gonna lay every crown down at his feet. Oh, I can't wait for that day. When the crowns, like we, we love to achieve crowns. Even right now, we've got the Olympics going on. We're crowning people with medals of gold. We're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know a day's gonna come when every crown, every reward is gonna be placed at the feet of Christ. He's gonna get his reward. That's why he puts the treasure in weak vessels so that it could never be mistaken. It could never be mistaken. We could never sit here and think, I deserve that reward. No, no, he deserves all the glory, all the glory. There's this beautiful old hymn, We don't often sing hymns, but I have to read this. This is one of just, listen to this. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Sinners whose love can never forget the wormwood and the gall, go spread your trophies at His feet and crown Him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to Him all majesty ascribe and crown Him Lord of all. Oh, that with all this sacred throng, that means lots of people, we at His feet may fall, will join the everlasting song and crown Him Lord of all. Amen. He's going to get his glory. He's going to reap his reward. And lastly, number three, Ben, uh, you can come up and we'll close in a second. But the last one, he's going to refine our perspective. And this brings him glory. Why does God allow the saints to be tested? Because it refines our perspective, friends. If you're going through something, it's because God is, you are pressed for a purpose. He is refining your perspective. Watch this, verse 16. Therefore, We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, God will take us to the end of ourselves so that we can finally see beyond ourselves. Let me say that again because you forgot to write it down. God will take us to the end of ourselves so that we can finally see beyond ourselves. It's Olympic season. It's Olympic season right now. And there's the greatest Olympian who ever lived is a guy called Michael Phelps. 22 gold medals. 22 gold medals, this guy won. And do you know what? uh, After the 2012 games, he said he stood on the mountaintop and all he could see was a valley. 
He said he stood on the mountaintop and he looked around and he said, is this all there is? I've achieved everything I set out to achieve. No one has ever done better. I am the greatest, the most glorious swimmer to ever live. There is no athlete who has achieved better than I have ever achieved. He stood on the mountaintop and yet all he could see was a valley. And he spiralled after the 2012 Olympics into the depths of depression and despair because he realised he had achieved his life purpose at the age of mid-20s and he had nothing left to live for. And in 2014, he was so near the edge, he was contemplating ending it all And a friend of his run, a guy called Ray Lewis, Christian, former NFL player, passionate Christian communicator now. And his friend rung him and they started to talk. And his friend started to share the gospel with him. And he gave him a book by Pastor Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. And as he gave Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympian to ever live, He gave him this book and he said, you need to read this book. And Michael Phelps said he started to open this book and all of a sudden, the glory of God started to wake him up. All of a sudden, he had got to the end of himself and he couldn't see a future. And all of a sudden, as he got to the end of himself, he began to see beyond himself. He began to see all the things that God had prepared in advance for him to do. He began to see, so this is what it talks about. I'm giving you a hope and a future. He began to see Christ because Christ is our hope and a future. That's who's our hope and future. He began to see God. He began to realise that God had come for him, that God loved him. You see, God allowed Michael Phelps to be tested, to be squeezed, to be pressed, to come to the very end of himself so that he could reveal his glory in Michael Phelps' life. And at the 2016 Olympics, there was Michael Phelps, a different man, full of joy, full of faith. He didn't care if he won or lost. He was just happy to be there. He's like, I should have been dead, but I'm alive in Christ. Now he's sharing his testimony. He's sharing the gift of God's glory that has been put in him because he understands that the treasure transcends the testing. He understands that he's been given a treasure and he's just a jar of clay for all his mighty works. He's just a jar of clay. For everything He's achieved, He's just a jar of clay, just like you, just like me. And what He needs is the glory of God to be manifest in His life. And so do you and so do I. God has put this treasure in jars of clay. God is on about His glory. God's Kingdom is breaking in, friends, and it's breaking in through broken vessels. So if you're feeling pressed today, take hope. If you're feeling stretched today, take hope. If you're feeling struck down today, take hope. If the news that is encircling you today is causing you to despair, take hope. For Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Greater is He that's living in me than he that is in the world. Come on, somebody. Greater is He that's living in me than he that is in the world. The world. Take your eyes off the news. It's time to have a refined perspective. It is time to fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
Maybe you're terrified about the virus that is coming along and you're living in fear. It is time to stop living in fear and time to start living in faith because God has given you a treasure. Maybe you're terrified of the other end of the spectrum, feeling like the government's pushing in against us. It's time to stop living in fear and start living in faith because greater is He who's living in me than he that's in the world. And God is on the throne and He is sovereign and He will not be defeated by the ways and the wiles of our government, by the ways and wiles of the world. He will not be defeated by a virus. He will not be defeated by anything that would seek to come and tear you down. Guess what? No weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He will give you the strength. He will inspire you. He's given you a treasure that is greater than any earthly treasure. He is greater than the most refined gold and He's put it in you. So keep walking, keep walking. Keep walking, hold fast to the faith that God has given you and know that He will remain. When everything else falls away, one thing will remain. One thing will remain, the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So much so that the multitudes of heaven can't stop singing about it. It's time for the church to start joining that song. Stop fretting and start faithing. Come on. Stop fretting and start faithing. Where do you go in the morning? Refine your perspective. What's the first thing you read? The news? In inverted commas? the promise what would it look like if the church went to the promise instead of propaganda what would it look like if the church came around the promises of God we stopped fearing everything going on left or right and we just centred ourselves on the countercultural truth of the gospel and just walk in obedience you have a testimony that will give rise to thanksgiving to the glory of God. Amen. Church, arise. Arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Again, that came to us this morning in prayer. Arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Would you stand to your feet wherever you are, right here, right now? There's this beautiful passage in the book of Psalms, the, uh, the, the songs of ascents, the, the songs of, a, of pilgrimage, and they begin, the pilgrimage, the journey of a disciple actually begins with a testing and a pressing. And then the disciple looks around and says, he looks to the hills and he says, where does my help come from? As he's looking to the hills, he's looking to all the shrines, all the the false gods, everything that the world looks to for help. And he says, where does my help come from? He's looking around and he goes, my help comes from the Lord. I just sense this morning that someone needs to have their perspective refined. Your help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord. Our weakness magnifies His strength. Our brokenness reveals His beauty. And so He puts His treasure in jars of clay that that might never be mistaken. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that we have this beautiful treasure in jars of clay. Thank you for your glory. We thank you that your glory was manifested through a cross. 
We thank you that you're the one who brings beauty from brokenness. You're the one who saves the sinner and turns him into a saint. Hallelujah. I want to pray a spirit of encouragement over everyone whose eyes and ears come across this word today. Encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Stand up. Stand up. Fix your eyes upon the Lord. Don't forget what He has bought for you. Don't forget the bridegroom who is coming for you. Don't forget the one who adores you. Don't forget Him. Don't lose sight of Him. Don't don't miss the majesty of heaven on account of your circumstances. We have this treasure in jars of clay and it's all for His glory. We love you, church. We're praying for you. We are excited, hopefully, to be back next week together. We're going to share that. Keep your eyes on your social media and your emails and all those things. Um, God is good. Amen. God is good and His mercy endures forever. So let's sing. Let's sing wherever we are. Don't turn off. Let's sing. Let's worship God. Then we're going to go into our Zoom groups. God bless. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.